it just got to the point where it was like, what am I doing? Nobody wants to hire me. I had gone through 10 interview processes and then I got to a second interview. And after the second interview, you would play, take these uh, um, psychological tests. And my favorite one was uh, when they said, uh, you're a creative and a visionary. And I said, well, the job is creative services, video production, which is exactly what I'm, what I did for Whirlpool and uh, NBC and uh, Charter Cable. I, I, what more do you want? And they said, we want order takers. We don't want creative people. Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue pursuing their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, coach, and consultant on human connection. Today's featured pivoter is Stuart McDonald. Stuart is a rare bird. He's a magician, but really, he's a character actor who happens to be a magician. He's also won a billion prestigious awards in magic and fooled Penn and Teller. You see, magicians, myself included, are typically just heightened versions of ourselves. But Stuart creates characters with backstories, wants, and needs, and he inhabits them fully. Why don't more magicians do it? (laughs) Because it's really freaking hard. In March of 2020, Stewart was the very last person to step on stage at the famous Magic Castle in Hollywood before they shut their doors and the world went into lockdown. Unlike most pivoters this season, Stewart did not immediately turn to virtual in order to salvage his career. In fact, he hung up his magic act and started searching for a normal 9 to 5. But nearly a year later, Stuart is still a professional magician, delivering some of the most inventive virtual shows in the industry. How do you get here? This is his pivot story. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Stuart and maybe even catch a show yourself. Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter, get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you... Stuart McDonald. What are you working on right now? Like this week, what's on your mind? What are you doing? Uh, well, I'm, I'm pulling together my Christmas show for uh, Richard Preston. Uh, we just got off of Richard Preston Saves Halloween. So now we're doing his Christmas show. It's going to be called Christmas Capers. It's a 1962 uh, like holiday party, much like you would experience in 19... 19- 62. It's going to be pretty fun. Uh, it's so wild. I, I feel like it's got to be the dream to to be able to inhabit a character and recreate different periods of time that you're really interested in. It's something I've always wished I could do and just never managed to ever do in the world of kind of just professional touring magic, where at some point you just fall into, I just got to do the shows and get on the planes and make it happen. Yeah. So you know what? For for the audience, even though anywhere this exists, I will have given you the intro. I will have given your background. Why don't you talk us through who is Richard Preston? Because he's not you, sort of. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, everybody in the magic community knows me as Stuart McDonald, the guy who fooled Penn and Teller and won internationals, won the SAM and the IBM combined convention. Uh, and I don't rest on those laurels. To me, that's all ancient his history. But uh, when COVID happened, I was on a world tour and I was actually uh, in, or was it? It was the Magic Castle. And uh, they were closing LA down at the time. And it was then that we knew that something big was about to happen. And uh, I was actually the very last performer to ever set foot on that stage and walk out. I was actually giving a, a lecture and the manager came in and said, it's over. It's done. Everybody go home. And that's, that's, was on, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's nuts. So I was the, I mean, I'm talking about the very last person. So we get on a plane, uh, almost empty plane and we get, to Detroit Metro, nobody at Detroit Metro except the people that were on our plane. And I look at my cell phone and canceled, 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 cruise ship canceled, everything canceled. I'm like, all right, now I've got no prospects. But not only did I not have prospects, I didn't have, uh, I was like everybody, there were no prospects, no matter what you were going to do. So the big problem I had to solve was, um, first of all, I had to overcome the anxiety of what on earth do we do? We do? And uh, I got a call from the Croswell Opera House. Uh, you probably see Croswell Opera House underneath my name. Yeah. Um, they're the, they, they called me and they said, we want to have a, a show. And I go, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, we want you to film your show at the Croswell and then we're going to stream it. And I said, that that's not going to work. I said, right now, the way streaming is, it's got to be interactive. And so I did some investigating. And since I'm a lean and continuous improvement guy, I, uh, I really investigated and I did a problem solving. I did a, an eight, what's called 8D problem solving. And it's, a, it's what engineers use for quality improvement and, and finding root cause. So I wanted to find out why the magicians that I was watching weren't entertaining me. And, uh, <laughs> so much bad live stream <laughs> magic. <laughs> well, and, and, and you know, I, it's, it's hard to blame them because the medium is so difficult. And, and uh, so I don't, I, I, I mean, we can, we can laugh and point fingers and, and, and it's easy to do. But at the same time, they were ahead of me. And I'm like, okay, they saw it coming. All right. So they're getting their feet wet. Um, but I wanted to do more than what they were doing. I wanted, I, I didn't want to do what we, you and I are doing. I'm sitting at a table and then I can, you know, lean my computer forward and I can show you a card trick and, and you know, and I can put the card here and then put something in front of the camera. And, and, and it's like, no, it's got to be. Yeah. I want to be dynamic. So I created this character, Richard Preston, which was really risky because I had no idea how he would be received because he's a no-name. Who in the heck is Richard Preston? So um, I decided to make him real. So I made a, an autobiography <laughs> of a film about Richard Preston 
and I put my face on other people in history. Uh, so I became, became like a Forrest Gump <laughs> and inserted myself into very strong historical moments. And, and then I put uh, those pictures into eight by 10 frames and put them around the fireplace. And every time I looked at Richard Preston, I, was, I, I could swear I was there when that photograph was taken. My, I remember the moment that I put my name in the Grumman's Chinese theater, you know? Uh, so it's, uh, so that's how, how that came about. Yeah. And so, I mean, this, this isn't, no, that's, it's, it's amazing. And you're one of the very few magicians, uh, publicly at least, uh, kind of that people know about that have been able to do this over the years because you're, your character from your the act you've toured for many years, which do you call it the money act? I mean, what what is it called? It's it's the the mirror act. the mirror the yeah, mirror the act, mirror which act. I am convinced. Although memory is weird, like you just said, I'm convinced I saw you do it live at one point when we crossed paths at a convention. I don't think we ever met actually like face to face, but I'm convinced at a convention at some point I saw you do it. But it, I may have just seen you online so many times. I think that now. But it's an extraordinary act, and anywhere this video, this audio is, wherever the description exists, there will be a link to a version of that, which I've shown, physically sat friends down in a pre-COVID world and be like, watch this, best magic you'll ever see. Because <laughs> um, it's, oh, it's so wonderful. And, and you, you, do you consider that a character? Um, because I know you do that as Stuart McDonald, but is that still a character? Well, it's funny you say that. Um, while I... Uh, I knew that uh, he was actually the, the official name of him is the unintentional magician. He didn't have a name. Mm. He did not have a name. Um, and, and I had been searching for a name and my uh, old um, theater director said, do not give him a name until you're absolutely certain that, and it, and it has to fit. And so when I came up with Richard Preston, the world's greatest magician frozen in time. I was like, wait a second. How did he be? I had to ask the question, answer the question. How did he become a magician? I became a magician because the unintentional magician was Richard Preston. As he learned how to become a magician, he was thrown into this. Uh, he, he was in, he inherited this mansion from his great, great grandfather, found a secret room, and discovered all these props and became a magician around 1939. That's when he started dabbling into it. And I'm like, that's the name. So now I have a fully realized uh, show that has a beginning, a transitional moment. And then he became a superstar in the 1960s. That's so cool. It's uh it's so all by accident. Yeah. Well, but you know, many, many of the greatest things ever were accidents, right? I mean, that's, that's sure. the story of history kind of. Um, yeah. That's, that's so exciting because that act always felt like a character. I never really knew the unintentional magician, which if once you see it, anybody listening, watching this, it totally makes sense. It's that's what part of what makes it so wonderful. I've always loved that plot in magic where the magician fools himself or or herself yeah. uh which is you know or, or something happens to the magician instead of to the audience which is you get the opportunity to kind of experience the magic to, for you to experience the magic the way the audience is at the same time and share it um as opposed to being the godlike figure that's creating it uh which is what i feel right. like so many magicians fall into um so 
if you had met someone in a social gathering in January, February, and they asked you, what do you do? Would you have just said magician? Um, in, in February? Yeah, pre-COVID. Uh, oh, pre-COVID. Yeah, what would you have oh, said? Yeah. You would have just said magician. Yeah, just magician and public speaker. I, I, I do... I was doing keynote speaking yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so today, if you bumped into someone in a virtual social gathering and they said, what do you do? What's your answer now? Same thing, magician, public speaker. Okay, so now the question is, what has this yeah. transition been like? Talk me through, you know, we know about kind of how the character got created, but what is your career like right now compared to what it was? How do you feel about it? What did that transition look like? Kind of give me the story of this year. What was your pivot? Did you did you read the LinkedIn article? Yes, I did. But my okay. my listeners and viewers and anybody will not have. Yeah. All right. So there's there's the pivot. So when I lost my tour, I was like, okay, I there is not going to be any magic for probably two years. Live entertainment, at least. And I said, well, just like anybody else, time to get a job. Now, I used to work at Whirlpool for five years. And so while I was touring, I was still working at Whirlpool. I was using my vacation time and it just got too much so that I quit. Perfect timing. Halloween 2019. And then COVID hits a couple of months later. And I'm like, wow. All right. Good timing. Um. So I'm like, well, what what do I fall back on? Well, I have all this uh, uh, experience with a major Fortune 200 company. I should be able to get a job. I should be able to. So I start applying to jobs and applying and applying. And it was just a few days ago, I started adding up how many applications I had gone through. And it was over 700. Because every single day, between seven and 10 applications a day, like clockwork, that was my job. Find a job. What I would do, I'd wake up in the morning and I would apply until about one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would work on Richard Preston. That is, up until a few days ago, that that was my mantra. And then it just got to the point where it was like, what am I doing? Nobody wants to hire me. I had gone through 10 interview processes and then I got to a second interview. And after the second interview, you would play, take these uh, um, psychological tests. And my favorite one was uh, when they said, uh, you're a creative and a visionary. And I said, well, the job is creative services video production, which is exactly what, I'm, what I did for Whirlpool and uh, NBC and uh, Charter Cable. I, uh, what more do you want? And they said, we want order takers. We don't want creative people. And I was just like, what on earth? And, and I'm like, okay, so I'll just keep on, I'll keep pushing farther. And then as I kept pushing, the interview process started because people had started losing their jobs. The interview process started to turn into bots. And so they would, you would push a button and it would say, tell me about yourself and start recording now. And you would tell about yourself. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're taking out this uh, whole process of, of human connection to figure out who people are. And then I started looking farther back at my career and I was like, wait a minute, corporate America doesn't want creative people, not at the lower levels. They, they, they don't understand 
how our brain works. Management doesn't understand how a creative person, when they see something that can be improved on, or there's a, a new way to do something, uh, it's, it's akin to somebody, and I, we all have friends that know uh, when something is spelled wrong. It's like nails on a chalkboard. They point it out. No, it's his, not his, yeah. you know, or something, or read, not read, yeah. uh, or some other, you know, misspelled has another S in it. And uh, just for yeah, them, they're, they're there and there. Why can't anybody they're, do they're, 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 they're there and there? <laughs> perfect. That's a perfect example. And for us, it's the same way. So there, there's no way for, uh, um, for creative people. In, in some instances, there is, and there's no absolute. But I just said, after 700 tries, uh, why am I banging my head up against the wall? And then I started waking up every morning with five rejection letters a day. And after a while, you just get to a point. That's really starting to hit on my uh, soul. So I, then I made a decision. Um, why don't I just double down on something that I already know very well? And it's already starting to go well. And and I was doing what everybody else does. Create a lifeboat just in case. Yeah. I'm curious why it took 700 rejections to decide to double down because I, I many of the folks that i've spoken to for this project pretty much back in march when everything went to pieces in their industry whatever it was immediately made a pivot because they felt like they had no choice and i what's interesting is it sounds like the pivot you made was it i don't believe for a second i'm going to be able to keep doing magic so i'm going to go find some other thing why did it take 700 rejections in that other thing that you didn't even really want to do anyway before you decided, no, the pivot is to stick with magic and just do it in a different way? Uh, that's a great question because um, I didn't have that opportunity thrown at me until April. Okay. So I was well underway because uh, I didn't I didn't even look at Zoom as an option. I was like some of these purest magicians that are like, no, I will never do that. That is awful. And I know so many magicians that are doing that. They're just like, no way. It's got to be a live audience or nothing. Yeah. And so I, I took that stance for a little while and I, and it was like, I'll just wait. But in the meantime, I got to put bread on the table. And, and when April came around, then my eyes were wide open, but they were still looking for a job because there's still no income yet. And then July started the first shows and I'm like, we really didn't do well. There wasn't that many people. Yeah. And I figured what's a cup, what, what's four hours a day looking for a job. Is that really costing me anything uh, uh, to actually create something new? It's like, no, I've got a, a whole set of hours to create Richard Preston. So it, it wasn't interfering with my, my mindset. I just hadn't made my mind up yet to go fully in that direction. Yeah. And it was the, the pivot was uh, after I read the article, I read it like 20 times and I'm like, there's something here I'm not getting. And, and I started looking at it and looking at it and I'm like, what would somebody else think looking at this? And, and it just dawned on me. It's like, this guy needs to do magic full time again. And and that was that was my pivot moment was actually 
being able to turn the article around like a mirror and 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 say the answer is in front of your face that's such an interesting way to uh to have gone through this year i'm curious um because i've been i i had been out of I was almost out of professional magic. I spent 10 years. I got real lucky. You know, I, I started early 16 and I never had another job. I spent 10 years uh, until about 26 when I was doing magic full time. Put myself through school with it, continued doing it, got to tour the world, did the Navy entertainment thing, all kinds of cool stuff. Really cool. Um, and then I got really lucky with my TEDx talk that went viral and launched me in the career as a, you know, as a speaker and and over the past six years since then, I slowly was moving out of professional magic. I was at the point where this year, it was the first year I was going to be basically 100% a speaker. Last year, it was like 80-20. I was still a little bit in magic. This was it. I was a speaker. And what's interesting is, I, and I was ready to be out. I love magic, but I had done it. I really felt like... I, I did it. I did the dream way early in life than I ever expected. I toured the world. I did the thing. Um, and what happened to me is even though my speaking career, that was an easy pivot because I immediately shifted. I mean, it was a panic, but it, it, but it ended up being easy. I immediately shifted my speaking into virtual workshops and communication and all this stuff. No problem. My topic is human connection. It's always been my topic. I shifted it right into how do we do that virtually? Boom, no problem. Clients everywhere. But I started getting calls from former clients as a magician who would basically come out and say, we know you don't really do this as much anymore, but we also know you're good with the tech and stuff. Any chance you can do a virtual magic show for us? And when the first time someone said virtual magic show, it was like probably like March 20th or something. And I was like, what? You know, and... and but at that point, like you, even though I was getting some of the speaking gigs already, I had no idea what the industry was going to look like. I had a baby on the way. I now have a six-week-old infant in the house. I was like, I got no option. I can't say no to anything right now. Oh, you're willing to hand me a check? Yeah, of course I can do a virtual magic show for you. They said, how's next Tuesday? Sure. I said, great. And then I had like five days to go, what in the heck does a virtual magic show look like? And the first one was terrible. They loved it, but it was terrible. Right. Because For you, it right, it was just what you, you expect, which is I, I put up one camera and I tried to do the show I'd been doing since I was 16 in front of a camera and one show it took me to go. If I'm going to keep doing that, that's not the way to do it. Right. And so I'm curious is that now I actually love doing virtual magic shows more than I loved doing in-person magic shows for the last few years. Because I've found interesting ways to use the medium to my advantage and do things you couldn't do in person. Have you found a a love or joy in the virtual space? Or is it still for you just a, I'm going to do this until the world comes back and then I'm right back out there? Man, that's a really good question because there's, there's uh, it's, a, it's a complete mix. Um, like you, my first shows were terrible. Um, and then I found a trick to get me because I, I would be really depressed right before I would walk in front of the camera and be like, oh. yeah. And I was, as I watched the shows, my first shows, I would look at them and go, wow, I, I, I don't look like I'm ready to do a show. It looks like I, I just looked up from reading the newspaper. What, <laughs> <laughs> why are you bothering me? And, 
And I said, I got to fix that. So I came up with um, a gag from the Three Stooges. And my character was frozen cryogenically and unthawed to help the world at a time when it needed it most. The original idea was for Richard Preston to be the first entertainer on the colony of Mars, 100 years from 1962. (laughs) That was his mission. But governments got together and unthought it. So I thought, well, what if I was just thrown out of the cryogenic chamber and just said, go, what would that look like? And so I would come out on stage like this. Ah, ah, I'm so cold. And that hid all of the anxiety of being in front of the camera. And the gag was a table would come out automatically in front of me with a big bowl of steaming hot water. And the the gag is nobody knows what what's in the bowl. So I have a big sign that says hot water in front of it, just like the Three Stooges. And I put my hands in the bowl and steam just shoots up out of it. There's a little fogger <laughs> inside of it. And I'm like, oh, oh that feels so good. <sighs> and there's no water in it. But for so for me, what that did is it gave me a reset. Yeah. They, they said, okay, this is a performance now. And that gag wasn't for you. That was for me. Mm. It's a strange concept, but it was for me. That's so interesting that that I feel like when people talk about serving the audience or and, and in any in in customer service and magic in any field, right? Serving the audience in the loosest sense of the term. Sometimes we forget that the most generous thing you can do is take care of yourself first, right? Is make sure that you're in the right mind, that that is the best way to serve the audience. And you don't have to be just this like selfless martyr all the time. And that's actually a good way to burn out is, is doing that without realizing it. I, as you were talking about that, I realized I came up with something for myself to do the same thing, which the first two, three months of shows I wasn't doing. And I felt that awkward. Oh, we're on. You know, that beginning of the show, like, uh, um, you know, like test, test, that kind of thing. And I realized that I finally decided to put a one minute intro song that has like a little um, it plays just some generic rock song that sounds cool that plays with a few slides of just the highlights from my career. So I tell my clients, I don't want you introducing me like we used to. No introductions. Um, it plays a few highlights that I would have. And then the second the screen fades to in for my camera to come on my main cam right before it does a raucous audience applause cue from like a theater plays and and i and as i come on screen it's me going like that and for whatever reason it just got me into the show um and i can do things like all right all right enough's enough and right as i know the cue is about to settle down and for the live audience i think it's and and then i apologize immediately and i go i'm sorry i know that's super lame but like how weird is this right and it's just a way into the show uh i hadn't even realized that i i had done that's exactly what it does for me and i just did it by instinct at some point because i was so it felt so weird to to it just feels weird to be doing magic to yourself in a room for an hour. <laughs> like, it's such a bizarre experience. Um, so here's a question. How would you describe your 2020 in one word? Weird. <laughs> weird. That's a great answer. Um, 
what characteristics or personality traits of yours would you say have been crucial to your survival this year, if not your success, depending on how you want to think about it? Being clever. Cleverness. Can you give me more about mm-hmm. that? Be, I mean, there's a, there's a thousand little clever things uh, to, to, to give you broad brushstrokes. To create uh, Richard Preston um, was a, a clever move and risky because nobody knew who Richard Preston was. People knew who Stuart McDonald was. So I actually created somebody that is actually now more popular than my own name, <laughs> which is really weird. So that's a clever thing. Um, the other clever part was how I approached creating my show. I used uh, drop down maps, fish boning. I did everything that I could with the tools that I used from. Uh, quality engineering, and it it made it work. And I also uh, interviewed people who were in television. I interviewed a weatherman, uh, Paul Emick. No kidding. Uh, he's from the Weather Channel. He was one of the original crews from the Weather Channel and doesn't work for him anymore. And I said, as a weatherman, you were actually the original Zoom. <laughs> so... How did you crack jokes knowing that there's nobody out there laughing? You didn't even have an audience that you was, but you were still just working a camera. And for four hours, he just gave me all kinds of tips. And, and so I think that kind of clever thinking of trying to understand how to use the camera, how to uh, mug the camera yeah, uh, and, and getting feedback, but, yeah, that's being creative. Wow, that's that's a tough one to really nail because there's to be at the point where I'm at now was a thousand creative tiny decisions. Yeah, you know what I want to drill into there just for a second, or at least highlight is the fact that one of the things that you you attributed as being clever, I just think is being smart, which is, and maybe we're using those terms in the same way, but. You you reached out and asked someone else for help. And I think smart people don't realize that they do that instinctively. Um, I, I tell this story a lot when I was uh, in high school. I, I was My parents are both mathematicians. My dad's a PhD. My mom's a computer scientist. They're brilliant. And uh, so I obviously became a magician. And I... Uh, <laughs> When I, I was always good at math, but I never worked at it because I just kind of got the math genes. And I finally hit one class in high school where for the first time ever, it didn't just come to me immediately without any practice. And I, and I was having trouble with some math homework. And I asked my, you know, I told my dad, I'm having trouble with this math. And he said, well, have you gone in for extra help? Because all your teachers have this extra help hours. I said, no, only dumb kids go for extra help. And he looked at me and he said, no, only smart kids go for extra help. And, uh-huh. and I went and it was true. It was like the top 10 of my class. That's who was there every morning for, for extra help. And I'll never forget that lesson. And I think that that's something that you probably did without even thinking too much about it. Like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. I may as well reach out to someone who has experience in this and find out what works for them, as opposed to thinking you're just clever enough on your own to come up with it out of thin air. Right. Um, let's end or at least tail off on this. What is your outlook right now on the future of your business, the future of what you're doing right now? What's your outlook at this moment? How do you feel about it? 
I, I feel good about it. Um, I, I, it's still new and it's growing. Um, is it, uh, making me mounds of money? No. However, a month over month I'm gaining. So I, the trajectory is up. It's not down. How this is going to look in the future, I think live performances are not going to be as large as they, I don't think you're going to see Coachella's for a long time. Uh, I could be wrong. No, I, th- I, I think, I think you're right. See, yeah. So, I, I, so my, my guess though, is you can create a virtual Coachella where you will have, uh, you know, concerts that normally would have 15 to 20,000 people in an arena, uh, but now you might be able to have a hundred thousand people because they're going to have cameras right there on stage. You can actually be closer to the action than you were before. And I even see it going into virtual reality yeah. where you can be right there on stage with the performer. So I just think this is the very beginning, the first baby step of, uh, not only live performance, but in addition to, I think that's what this is going to be. It's also in, in addition to. I, I think you're right about that. I don't think it's going to take over forever, but I think it's going to end up being much more split than some people expect. I think there's still a lot of people, especially magicians and other entertainers, live performers who are desperate for that world to come back, who maybe, like you mentioned, so many are unwilling to even try this. Um, yeah. And I think they're waiting for a day when, Boom, virtual's over and live is back. In person is really the right way to phrase that because this is live. In person is back. And I, I'm betting we're looking at 20% is going to end up being in person and only in special circumstances and the rest of it's going to stay here. And I think there's a lot of people, a lot of magicians, a lot of artists who are really hurting themselves in the long run by continuing to dig their heels and just go, nope, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Um, you know what? Let's end on that note. Do you regret spending all that time getting 700 rejections instead of just diving in right away to virtual? Do you do you see that as wasted time or not? No. Um, actually, uh, by doing that, I created, cause see with my speaking business, I created a whole nother level of lean and continuous improvement speech. Uh, by putting that, uh, article out, I got, uh, a, I, I got selected to be one of the keynotes for the world summit for lean and continuous improvement, because through doing that research, uh, that I didn't even know I was doing research. I was in survival. What I found out was the reason why I discovered a reason why companies are having a hard time improving because they're hiring order takers and, or they're molding people into order takers and not being able to think for themselves, think creatively, creatively, creatively. And uh, that's one of the topics that I'm uh, drilling into. And, uh, but after, yeah, so no, I don't think that that's ever wasted. And I always talk, and I always tell people this is like any action that you take, you are able to see a bigger picture because more questions will be, uh, you will see, will see more questions that need to be answered. But if you are the person who just sits and waits, no questions will ever come to you and you will never get any answers. You have to take action to go towards somewhere. Well, that's as good a place to officially end as, uh, as any, 
Listen, Stuart, thank you so much uh, for your time and uh, your enthusiasm and your willingness to talk openly about this because it's a tough topic for some people that, you know, they, they don't want the world to know that they've struggled in the pivot. Where would you like people to, wherever there's descriptions and places where they can click links and go connect with you, where is the best places you'd like uh, somebody to go find you? Uh, go to stuartmcdonaldmagic.com and that's McDonald is an M-A-C. And Stuart as in S-T-U-A-R-T. Awesome. This was great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for inviting me. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. 